God is good? And all the time? Hey, thank you for being here this morning, and I am not, well, I am at least 21, but I am a few years ahead of that. I am now 47, so half the room thinks I'm old, half the room does not, so that's okay. Uh, I, um, I enjoyed my own personal birthday, August the 9th, 1973, for six minutes. And then my brother ruined everything. And so, uh, anyways, happy birthday to my brother as well. But uh, my name is John. I'm blessed to be the pastor here. And I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Many of you here in person and many of you online as well. Uh, Don't forget to share the Facebook feed just so you can invite someone to join us this morning. And I do want to say a thank you to Carlos and Stefan, our youth pastor and his wife. They uh, did an amazing job with all the youth leaders and all the students last week kind of letting us celebrate what God did at camp, and then just leading us in worship. Didn't they do a great job? I appreciate them, and, and uh, as, as David said, we want to show the praises of the Lord to the generation behind us, and so if we fail to pass our faith on, then we have failed. I remember a long time ago when I was right out of college, I heard an evangelist, I don't even remember his name, but he said, A generation without regeneration is degeneration, and so how important it is for us as a faith family to pass our faith on. I also want to introduce this morning uh, our newest member to the church. Martha has uh, joined us online during uh, COVID, and uh, she's not able to meet with us in person right now, but I've done several phone interviews with her. She went through all our membership material, signed our membership covenant, had a great story of when she gave her life to Christ as a young girl. And so all of you that would just like, let, let's just welcome her to our faith family. Can you give her a hand this morning? Appreciate her. And uh, she's been faithful online. I'm sure she's watching right now. So hello, Martha. Hope you're doing well. And uh, today in Revelation chapter 3, I want to encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. And this is uh, the last letter of the seven letters to the churches. Next week we will... Uh, conclude our series, The Church is Essential, and we are going to conclude it with uh, observing communion together. So I would encourage you to kind of prepare your heart for that uh, next week. But in this chapter, or in this letter to the church at Laodicea, there's two words that kind of jump off the page. They're contrasting words. Um, The first word is zeal, or it says zealous. I'm such a brilliant person that I decided to Google Uh, define zealous, and the definition I got was to have zeal, and I was like, smart aleck, you know, Uh, but to have zeal, what is the word zealous, what does it mean to have zeal, I'll just give you one word definition, it's enthusiasm, enthusiasm or enthusiastic, and so when we think about, as we read the text this morning, this word zeal or zealous, think of the word enthusiasm, The other word that contrasts in this text, in this letter to the church at Laodicea, is the word lukewarm. And lukewarm, the definition is showing little, guess what? Enthusiasm. Showing little enthusiasm. So when we think about these two words, zealous, we're enthusiastic. We're zealous for the works of the Lord. We're zealous to know God. We're zealous to get into God's word. Or... The contrast here is that we are lukewarm, that we don't have much enthusiasm to get into God's Word or the things of God or to serve the Lord. And there's two other verses of Scripture that I just want to point out before we get into our text that use this word zeal or or 
zealous. The first is in Titus 2, verse 14. It'll be on the screen for you this morning. It says, who gave himself for us. So it's obviously speaking of Jesus. Jesus gave himself for us. I'm talking about followers of Jesus. That he might redeem us. I love that word. Jesus died on the cross so that he could redeem us, that he could purchase us. That's what the scripture says. We are purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. We have been redeemed. We've been reconciled to God, our creator. Our sin broke fellowship with God, our creator. And so Jesus, in his compassion and mercy and his love, took our punishment, died on the cross so he could purchase us. He could redeem us for every lawless deed and purify himself, his own special people, like we, you see throughout the scriptures that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that uh, as we sang about this morning in Ephesians chapter 2, it says we were once far, we've been brought near, we were aliens, we were strangers, we have now become citizens, we were orphans, we have been adopted, that we are his special people. Can you say amen to that? As Ben said, I'm trying to get you warmed up for amen, all right? So amen, we're going to do that a little bit this morning. And then it says, his own special people, zealous, remember what the word zealous means, enthusiastic for good works. And, and you see here, this, there's so much theology in this one verse that says, because Jesus redeemed me, a result of that, that I would be zealous, I would be enthusiastic for good works. So my service for the Lord is never really out of duty, it should be out of delight because of what Jesus did for me. Think about the fact that Jesus died on the cross and took your punishment. Should that make you a little bit enthusiastic? Amen. A little bit more? Amen. And so we're zealous for good works. The next one is Romans 12, 11. Paul talks about it. He says, don't be slothful. Love that word. Don't be slothful in zeal. In other words, he says, don't be lazy. You should be enthusiastic. And you, he uses the word, be fervent in spirit serve the Lord. So we get this same idea that our enthusiasm because of what Christ has done for us should lead us to serve him. It should lead us to want to be in his presence because as we just sang about, Jesus is worth it all. Jesus is worth everything. And so we're going to kind of look at this church at the Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. Again, thinking of these two words, lukewarm or zealous. All right, look at Revelation 3, verse 14. I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works. We see that all the time. I know your works. I know your actions, and I also know your attitude, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm, there's the word, complacent, lacking enthusiasm, and you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. And all the junior high boys love that one. I'll make, it makes me sick. Verse 17, because you say I'm rich and become wealthy and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And I will anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be, there's the word, zealous, enthusiastic, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door, knock. If anyone hears my voice 
and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So you've been tracking with us the last few weeks, you know, when we get to that part, that part here, and every letter he says this. Uh, listen up is what he's saying. So if you've been listening, you've been tracking with us, you're going to know what I'm about to ask you to do. If you're not, well, that's okay. We can't blame you, all right? So here we go on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. God, I'm listening. God, I'm listening. It's pointless for us to come to church and open God's word if we're not going to open up our heart and listen. God, what do you want to hear? What do you want me to hear? How do you want me to respond today? Now, I want to close your eyes for a moment. This has uh, no point other than for me to entertain myself, but everybody close your eyes for just a moment. What I want you to do is to point, as everyone's eyes closed, I want you to point north, all right? Raise your hand and point north. Everybody point north. Now, I want you to open up your eyes. Keep your, keep your hand pointing north. Look around the room and see how many people got it wrong and how many people switched. All right, so north is actually not that way. It's that way. You're right, all right? So that is north. Therefore, east is which way? How many of you are kind of in your head doing the old thing, right? East is that way, right? And I'm only wanting to entertain myself, but here's, here's the reason. And when we think about this, the church of Laodicea, it's in the city of Laodicea. And the reason, I love as we read through these letters how personal Jesus is to the specific church. I know your works. And we see even as we unpack uh, what he's saying about cold and hot is specific to Laodicea because uh, when you understand the, the city, six miles north was Heropolis. And then six miles north in Heropolis, guess what they were known for? They were known for their hot springs that were healing. How many of you like hot springs, natural hot springs pools? Can I get an amen for that? I, I would love to tell you this story uh, last year on my uh, JMT hike, about 10 days in, no shower, no good food, we came to this place called MTR, and guess what the place had? Oh, hot springs. I, um, I won't talk about it. You could, can ask me later. But 10 miles to the east was the city Colossae. And 10 miles east, this city was known for its refreshing cold spring water. So you see the extremes here. We have to the east, the, the, the city and Colossae known for the refreshing cold spring water, and there's not anything quite like getting fresh spring cold water. How refreshing it is. And, and then to the north, we have the city known for its natural hot springs that are, you know, bring therapy or healing or therapeutic water. And so what Jesus pointed out to them, because Laodicea didn't have any natural water where they're at, everything, the water had to be transported or through aqueducts there. And so if they were to get the water that was hot, six miles to the north, by the time it got to Laodicea, guess what the temperature of the water was? Lukewarm. When they got the cold, refreshing spring water that would come from the east and make its way down when it got to Laodicea, guess what the temperature of the water was? Lukewarm. And many people were even getting sick because of the lukewarm water. And what Jesus is saying, church, is because you're neither hot or cold, you're not healing, you're not refreshing, you are lukewarm, you are useless. 
What a sad statement for Jesus to say about the church. And before we think, oh, this is really harsh, surely Jesus didn't say that. Remember what he said on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Remember what he said? You are the salt of the earth. So we as followers of Jesus, we are salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its flavor, we're, what does it say? We're good for nothing. Lukewarm, useless, flavorless good for nothing. And as we look at the letter to the church, and as we kind of walk through this this morning, then we, I think, need to look at this as a, collectively as a church. But, but before we do that, maybe we need to look at this personally as a member of the church. Am I lukewarm? Or am I zealous? Am I enthusiastic? or not. Now, what's the cause of a lukewarm heart? Uh, Josh Smith put it in really one hyphenated word. The cause of a lukewarm heart that we all deal with is this word self-deception. How easy it is for us as Christians to deceive ourselves into thinking everything is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I come to church even during covid I wear my mask like I'm supposed to. I, I'm pretty good. Everybody like to pat themselves on the back? I'm a, I'm a pretty good Christian. And, and so self-deception, the church at Laodicea, what is it, remember what it said? They were rich and need of nothing. Again, Jesus speaks to some personal things in their life. In fact, there's three things that the, church, or the city of Laodicea was really known for. They were known for their banking system. They were the wealthy of the wealthy. They were rich. They were also known for their clothing manufacturing. In other words, they had clothes. They were also known for medicine. They had developed a salve that would bring healing to some degree of blindness. Think about the text we just read. You think you're rich and have all the clothes you need, and you can see. And what does Jesus say? You're deceived. Now, I think as we think about this, we need to, again, personalize it. Pray the prayer of David. Lord, reveal the wickedness, the sinfulness, the lukewarmness in my heart. And I think I, I would just give you maybe the greatest most accurate barometer of your own spiritual walk right now. Again, if the cause of lukewarmness is self-deception. I think that I'm walking with God and maybe I'm not. I think I'm okay and maybe I'm not. If, the, if that is the understanding, then I think the greatest way for me to judge my heart, therefore for you to judge your heart, is my prayer life. My prayer life. Because if I am deceived in thinking that I'm good, I can take care of it, I've got it, I'm okay, then my prayer life, so here, here's maybe a way you could say this. If your prayer life is weak, it's because you think you're strong. If your prayer life is strong, it's because you finally maybe have realized you are weak. So for us not to be filled with pride and to say, I've got it all together, I can handle it, I don't need God, is going to be revealed in our prayer life. It's going to be revealed in our prayer life. It's uh, interesting, uh, Josh Smith told us, really just kind of explained it this way, that 
kind of reveals the heart of the city of Laodicea, which seemed to have spilled over into the church. In AD 60, there was a major earthquake. Most of these cities that we've been talking about and the churches we've been talking about were destroyed. And the Roman government put together something that may sound a little familiar. They put together a stimulus plan. And they were going to help rebuild all of the cities. And every one of the cities accepted the money so they could rebuild. In fact, they needed the money so they could rebuild. Guess what one city in the area chose not to receive money from Rome? It was Laodicea. Because they were rich and had what? Need of nothing. And when we become rich and we have need of nothing, who's the first person to go? It's the Lord. They were rich and need of nothing. So how's your prayer life? Now, this is, uh, let me give you like, if you're taking notes, this is what you need to take down. This is going to change your life forever. It's going to be so profound. If the cause is self-deception, well, let's figure out what the cure is, right? The cause is self-deception. The cure is Jesus. Everybody says, whoa, so profound, right? Jesus. It's like when you ask your kids on the way home from Sunday school, what'd you learn today at Sunday school? What do they always say? Jesus. Yeah, I don't need a church answer. I need a real answer, right? But the truth is, that is the answer. Jesus is the answer. If I'm going to cure my lukewarm heart and realize that I'm deceiving myself into thinking that I am exactly who and where God wants me to be, then I'm going to have to understand that I need more of Jesus. And in this text, we're going to see that Jesus reveals himself. He's going to reveal himself, and the more we know about Jesus, the more we understand who Jesus is, the more we will be drawn to be like him, the more we will be drawn to want to know him. Revelation 3.20. It's a pretty familiar verse if you've grown up in church a lot, and here's what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. So we're going to start from the end here. What Jesus is saying is, I want a closer relationship with you. I want an intimate, personal relationship with you. I, I want to dine with you. I want to, the, the King James would say, I want to sup with you. I want to have this intimate fellowship with you. And if the cure for self-deception, if the cure for lukewarm heart is to know Jesus more, what Jesus is saying is I'm inviting you in to a deeper, closer, intimate relationship. And if we back up a few verses, we're going to see that Jesus reveals himself in why we should want to have an intimate, personal relationship with him. The first one is this, that Jesus reveals he is the sovereign Lord. He is in control. And if I were to ask you to write down 20 words to describe who Jesus is, my guess is, unless you've been reading this text and you're kind of ahead of me a little bit, you would not come up with the first description Jesus gives of himself. Look in the text there, verse 14. Look at it for yourself. What is the first description that Jesus gives of himself? It's a word that we wouldn't necessarily use really as a noun to describe a person. But he says, I am the amen. Jesus says, I am the amen. Well, what does that word mean? It means truth. It means certain. It's like the final word. 
Do you agree Jesus is the amen? Hey, some of you got it. Very good. Let's do it. Do you believe that Jesus is the amen? amen? What else does he say? I am the faithful and true witness. Some of you are tracking. I am the beginning. I am the creator. He is Lord. Are, are, is he worthy of your praise? Is he worthy of your time? Is he worthy of it all? We sang it, but do we live it? And that's where we have to really evaluate our life. This church, we're rich in need of nothing. They, they did church well. They came together, they gathered, they praised, they sang. But Jesus is saying, but you don't even know. You're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. You are lukewarm. So Jesus wants us to understand, church, he is Lord. Not only is he the sovereign Lord, the second thing he reveals about himself is he is a wise counselor. In verse 17, he points out, you think this, but you're really this. And in verse 18, it seems like it's set up to, to really drop the hammer down. You know, as a parent dropping the hammer on their, their kids. But what does he say? Hold on a second. Listen, church. I want to counsel you. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I, I want you to look what he says. To buy, me, buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich. White garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and that anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Remember what he says, you were poor, you're naked, you're blind. Your clothes can cover your body, but they can't cover your shame, Jesus says. The salve can, can heal you physically, but it can't heal, heal you spiritually. Your wealth can bring you happiness, but it can't bring you joy. What Jesus is saying, listen church, don't waste your life on things that are temporary. My counsel, Jesus says to you, is listen, don't pursue the world, but pursue me. And remember what we said a few weeks ago, if I'm not actively pursuing holiness, if I'm not actively pursuing Jesus, I'm naturally drifting towards worldliness. And the counsel Jesus gives to us today, church, is would you please pursue me? Come to me and I will clothe you in righteousness. Come to me and I will open your eyes spiritually. Come to me and I will give you eternal life. And so he's a sovereign Lord. He's a wise counselor. The third thing we see is he is a loving father. We see this all throughout scripture. We looked at it a few weeks ago. What does it say in verse 19? As many as I love. These are the words we don't like. I rebuke and I chasten. When I, when I get out of line, I'm thankful that Jesus rebukes and chastens me. For one, it, it corrects me, but two, it reminds me who I belong to. I'm thankful that my heavenly Father loves me enough to sit me down and say, listen, you think you have it all together, but you don't. You think you're serving me with everything, but you're not. And who I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. Who I love, I rebuke. Why does he want to, to rebuke and to chasten us? Well, I think we can compare two things. Remember what Jesus said, that Satan, he wants to steal, what is it, kill, and destroy. 
Jesus says, but I came to give you life and life more abundantly. Jesus knows that when we settle for what the world has to offer, it's always second best. And so Jesus lovingly rebukes us, church. You're lukewarm. I want you to pursue me. Because true happiness is not in what the world has to offer. It's in Jesus. It's in the presence and the person of Jesus. So he reveals that he's a sovereign Lord, that he's a wise counselor, a loving father. The fourth one, let's get back to verse number 20, that he just wants to be an intimate friend. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. Let's think through this for a moment. This letter is written to a church. It's a lukewarm church, a church that no longer has enthusiasm for the Lord and for the work of the Lord and for the service of the Lord. And in that is for the understanding that I'm to lead people to find and follow Jesus. They are lukewarm. And just think for a moment. If Jesus is at the door knocking, Hello, if Jesus is at the door knocking, what's the implication? Where is he? He's outside. Zip, let's, let's wrestle with this for a moment. Jesus is talking to the church. He says, I'm, I'm a loving father, I'm a wise counselor, I'm the sovereign Lord, and I just want a friendship, I want a relationship with you. And Jesus is having to knock. Is it possible that we as a church could do everything we've done today and Jesus would be on the outside? From the text, it's possible. What does that do for you? I mean, I want us to think that collectively as a church, but I have, to, I have to wrestle that in my own life. Is it possible that I've deceived myself into thinking that I'm in an intimate personal relationship with Christ and I've kind of pushed him to the side? What a sad testimony of a church. What a terrible thought this morning of our church that we could be playing church and Jesus not even be here. I don't want that. I hope you don't want that. Remember what Pastor Haley said a few weeks ago. If the church is dead, it's because the members are dead. If the church is lukewarm, it's because the members are lukewarm. So what's the response? In verse 19, he says, be zealous. He just makes a declarative statement. You're lukewarm, and then he says, you don't even know and in verse 9, he says, be zealous. To be enthusiastic for the things of the Lord. To be passionate about Jesus. 
I would rather us be a little too passionate about Jesus that people might think we're a little bit weird than not passionate at all. The truth is, you guys, everyone in the room, you are passionate about some things. And this is, you know, me stepping on my own toes right now. If I were to go look at your Facebook post over the last month, what would your passions, what passions would be revealed? What are you passionate about? Be zealous for the Lord. Not just the works of the Lord, not just for the power of the Lord, but as we sang about, let's be zealous for the presence of the Lord. So verse 19, he says, be zealous, and then he goes on to say right after that, repent. Beginning to hate that word, right? Because it seems like all the time when I'm faced with something, Jesus is pointing out, he's giving me wise counsel, and he always says, just stop doing it. Repent. God, forgive me for my apathy. Forgive me for my complacency. Forgive me for my lukewarm heart. Forgive me for being passionate about all kinds of things that aren't going to matter in eternity. God, let me pursue you. I'm going to be zealous. I'm going to repent. And then verse 20 then says what? Open the door. God, I hear you knocking. And I desire to have that relationship with you. That changes everything. That my number one passion in, in life is you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment as the band makes their way to the front. I think public confession is healthy. And normally during this time, in a normal circumstances, this would be the time that we would ask you to come forward and, and pray at the altar and, and confess to the Lord. And we understand we're not in normal circumstances, and so I'm not going to ask you to do that for obvious reasons this morning. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If God has revealed to you through his word this morning that the word enthusiastic or enthusiasm doesn't describe your walk with him. That you this morning would make a statement, I repent and I open up my heart to you. If that's you this morning, you would like to publicly confess, I repent. God, I want, a, I want a deeper relationship with you. Would you just stand right now if you're in the room? Just stand. I, I, I'm confessing that I've been lukewarm. And I want to I be on fire for God. I want to pursue him. God, I ask this morning as those who are online, Lord, that are, are making these decisions in their home, those of us in the room this morning as we stand here publicly acknowledging that, that we are not on fire for you, that we have not been zealous, enthusiastic, passionate about you and the things of the Lord, that our passions have been derailed on things that don't matter, that don't last, that don't have eternal significance. 
God, we as individuals, we as a church, we, we repent and we ask you, Lord, as we hear you knock, come in. We want an intimate fellowship with you and that we could honestly say, if less of me means more of you, I, I surrender. God, I pray in the next few minutes as we worship that we would just pour our hearts to you, that you would ignite that fire in us to pursue you passionately. I'm going to ask everyone to stand this morning. Ben's just going to lead us in this powerful song, but the words are pretty... They're hard, they're easy to sing. I'm not sure they're easy to live. And as we sing the words, I want you to wrestle in your mind. Do I really, is this really, is this what I'm declaring today? That in order to have more of God in my life, it may mean less of me. And God, I'm I'm willing to make, I'm willing to surrender everything again and say, God, I, I just want you. I want to pursue you. Let's worship together.